0: For more information about your next step, please visit MovementColumbus.com. As Don said, we are going through the book of James. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 2. We're going to be finishing up that chapter today in uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. That's page 736 in your Bibles, um, and let me pray for us as we get there. Page 736 in the Bibles underneath your seats, James chapter 2. If you got your mobile device, chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. God, we are thankful for you. Um, We're so grateful that we get to just come in here and uh, worship you, have a date day with God. Uh, that when we think about Sundays, when we think about Sabbath, it's time for us that you have given us to reflect on who you are, to be in relationship with you, to talk to you, to hear from you in your word. And Lord, we believe that you speak through your word, and so we ask that you speak this morning loud and clearly, that if you need to comfort us, you comfort us. If you need to correct us, you correct us. If you need to convict us, convict us. If you need to confront us, confront us, Lord. And we pray that you would do this. In Jesus' name. All right, we're going to read the text to begin this morning. This, in a lot of ways, is the apex of James's letter. We've been talking a lot about faith and what faith looks like, and if you were to summarize all of James's entire work, all five chapters, he would say faith is revealed in action. That's actually uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning. And he uses a lot of amazing illustrations that are going to be helpful for us to dive into this morning. And so let's see what James has to say. This is James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. I mean, just think about the conversational tone that James uses here, right? He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but you don't show it in your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a nice day, or what we do, I'm praying for you. (laughs) Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give them, that person, any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds." You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. How foolish can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions, they worked together together. His actions made his faith complete, and so happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by the faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead, lifeless, empty, without breath, so also faith is dead, without good works. Let me just challenge us this morning, before we get going, as I almost fall over, that uh, we just absorbed this book this summer. If you were to read James from cover to cover, it would take you 15 minutes. We're going through all five chapters this entire summer, so we're going through it slowly, but what would it look like for us to absorb a book that was written by the half-brother of Jesus? Obviously, he was not conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he lived and grew up with Jesus. He did not believe that Jesus is the Messiah until a historical and real event happened, and that was his brother said, I'm going to die, and then he died, and he said, I'm going to rise from the dead, and then he did. And that historical fact and reality was enough to push James, the brother of Jesus, who did not believe in him, along with his siblings, during his earthly ministry, to call his own brother, and we've said this before, our glorious Lord and Savior. And think about what that would take for you to say that about one of your siblings, For him, it was the death and resurrection of Jesus, his brother, that convinced him. And then he writes this book to the church in Jerusalem that he is now a leader of to express what faith in Christ looks like. And we talked about if faith is this $100 bill, right? You hold up the $100 bill, and a lot of times you can tell that it is real because inside of that $100 bill is a watermark. And for James, the watermark of faith, the thing that is on the inside, is action. Faith is revealed, real, genuine faith is revealed in action. And this is the central claim of James's. Argument. It is the apex of his argument. It is the culmination of all that he will say and all that he has said. It is the pinnacle. It is the summit. And it all revolves around this word faith, which we talked about last week. Faith is this Greek word pistis. Everybody say pistis again pistis, and pistis is used 13 times in this chapter alone, 11 in the verses that we read today, 244 times in total in the New Testament, and faith doesn't just have to do with what's between your ears, what's in your noggin, it has to do with your life, because faith has a lot more to do with trust and allegiance than simply an intellectual box that you check saying, I ascribe to that. For example, faith is always revealed in what you trust most in life to get you what you think you need in life, where your allegiance is in life, what you hit your heart to in life. So let's say that you believe that in in attaining some goal, whether it's in your career or your life or a relationship or a marriage, and you think that that thing will complete you, it will satisfy all of your heart's desires. Guess what? You have pistis in that thing. You have faith in that thing. And that's why faith is not just something that Christians have, but faith is something that we all have. We put our hope, we put our trust, we put our allegiance in many things. Oftentimes, we're just not putting our faith in the right thing, and that thing is God. And James is going to tell us that faith is not shown, it's not revealed simply in what you say. Faith is not simply revealed in what you even believe faith is going to be revealed it's going to be shown in the world by what you do faith is revealed in action there's this famous comedian who I, I won't even say his name because you shouldn't listen to him but let me tell you a little story that he told all right there's this famous comedian and uh, he tells a story about flying first class and he begins the story by saying I'm a good guy or uh, he says I'm not a good guy I wish I was a good guy in fact I like the idea of being a good guy, but oftentimes I have the opportunity to be a good guy, and then I totally don't do it. And he goes on to tell a story about how oftentimes he flies first class when he's traveling across the country to do his comedy shows, and uh, there's two things that are amazing about first class. Obviously, it's the way that you get treated, but then also because you get to literally board first, and when you board first, you get to watch as single moms have lug the strollers over their shoulder, everybody sweating, hating their life, right? They're going back to the coach, shoving their Uh, suitcases uh, in the upper bins, right? And you get to sit there and watch this. And he describes how when he does this, he oftentimes sees people in the military uh, come onto the planes, and he thinks to himself, man, these guys, even if they're colonels, they're sitting in coach, and I'm up here for being completely inappropriate, And I get a first-class seat. Why am I any better than them? In fact, I'm worse than them. And so oftentimes he would say every time he sees a soldier, he would think, you know what, I should give them my seat. It would be easy to do, and it would mean a lot to them, and it wouldn't cost me much. And uh, he's sitting in this awful seat. I should trade with him. And let me be clear, I never have, and I never will. And honestly, I haven't even gotten that close to doing it. But he says, here's the worst part. I just enjoy the fantasy of it. (laughs) I just enjoy the fantasy for myself. I'm actually proud of myself for having thought of it. That is so nice of you to think about doing that thing and then totally never do it. And we all do this, right? We think, I mean, let's be honest, we laugh and we, we, we identify with the story because oftentimes we think about doing things that we know we should do, we don't do them, and we still think that we are as good as if we had done them. And everybody's on the floor laughing. You aren't because I did a horrible job retelling that story. But either way, the point is true. And James takes this actually a step Further, and he says, this is precisely how ludicrous it would be if there wasn't a soldier getting on a plane, but you had a brother or sister in Christ, somebody in your own church family, and they came to you and they said, I don't have food, I don't have clothing, I don't have shelter over your head. And you said, I'm praying for you, be warm, eat well, go on your way. And James is going, do you see how ludicrous this is? That type of faith is no faith at all. That is useless. It's dead. And so James draws the correct conclusion. What good does that do? None. But you thought about it. You talked about it. And see, James is not concerned with lip service to God. He doesn't care what you have to say. He cares what you have to do. And every parent knows this. Me and Mallory are trying to teach our two-year-old daughter, Raymond, not to run in the street. I know she's two, but she understands me. And she runs off to the street. I say, Raymond, don't run in the street. She turns around. She smiles. She says, okay, Daddy. And then she, as she's smiling at me, walks into the street. If you need evidence for original sin, there you go. <laughs> she looks me right in the eye, and she says, Okay, Daddy. And then she walks in the street. Now, I could be critical and go, she's two years old, but she understands what I am saying. And so that understanding reveals that she actually doesn't trust me. Rama, if you're in here, you're not. I'm way smarter than you. I'm way older than you. you got to believe me. right? And God is full of wisdom, he is full of care for us. I care for my daughter Rama. It is out of my love for my daughter that I say, don't do that. And oftentimes we look at the commands of God and we go, that's such a burden. I know you love me, but I don't trust you, Lord. Because every parent knows that their kids reveal their trust when they actually live out the guidance that they have been given. And when you don't live out your faith, it shows our distrust. Which is why James continues in verse 18, now someone may argue, some of you have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, James says, how could you possibly have faith? How can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And it's like, if God is our Father, He's our heavenly Daddy, do we trust Him? He has our best interest in mind. But if we don't live our lives guided by him, does that really reveal that we actually trust him at all? I would argue no, and so would James. And James also wants you to know that faith is not just simply what you say, but it's also not what you believe. And let me explain this very clearly, because obviously it's important what you believe. But James says, you say, verse 19, you have faith. For you believe that God is one. Good for you. Even the demons believe that, and they tremble in fear. There is not one demon in the universe that is an atheist. Think about that. Every single demon believes rightly about Jesus. They know who he is. They know what he's done. They know what he's about. In fact, James says they tremble in fear. But the difference between a demon and as a Christian is that they both believe, but only one submits their life to Him. Because demons look at Jesus and they say, I see who you are, but I don't want anything to do with you. And that's why we can get so caught up at times in our faith walk about having all of the things in the right theological categories, getting this here and that there, organizing these things here, and we think that that is faith, and then we wonder why we're so desperate for God, because that faith isn't living, it's just about knowing the right things. And James says, even the demons believe the right things. Do you trust him? Have you submitted your life to him? Because faith is not shown in what you believe. It's not shown. Hear me clearly. Faith is in what you you believe. You need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You need to believe those things. But faith is not shown. I can't see what you know here. Right? That's what James is saying. People can't see what you know in between your ears. Only you know that. But faith will be shown; it will be revealed to the world in how we actually live our lives. And you know, a really hard thing happened this week. We have this guy who mows our yard at the uh, office. His name's Jungle Jim. Yes, that's actually his name. He's great. He's phenomenal. He's great at his job. In fact, I would argue he's one of the best, if not the best, lawn mower in Hilliard. So if you need him, use him. And Jungle Jim comes in. He's not a believer. And he was passing out gifts to all of his clients. He brought in some Yetis, and he sits down to talk with, or I guess he was standing, but he comes into Mark's office. Mark and I were having a meeting. Mark's our lead pastor. And he starts talking to us, and he kind of vents a little bit. And he's talking about this one guy that he's been having a lot of trouble with in his lawn service uh, company. He's super particular. Nothing that he ever does is good enough. And not only that, he doesn't pay him on time. He never pays him on time. In fact, he owes him for the last three times. And he goes... And this guy's a Christian and I just want you to hear what he texted me this week. And this guy who Jungle Jim is witnessing his life, Jungle Jim reads this text and it's like, hey, I've been really convicted uh, by the Holy Spirit in my life, I'm a Christian, that I haven't been treating you right and I need to do X, Y, and Z. And he said that text came in a few weeks ago. And he said, nothing's changed. His behavior hasn't changed. He still treats me poorly. He doesn't pay me on time. And me and Mark are sitting there going like, let us be a surrogate and just ask for your forgiveness. Like I am so sorry that he is treating you that way. And as a Christian, I just go, that makes me so angry. Because you defame the name of Jesus when you say one thing, when you believe one thing. And then you don't act that faith out. And here is this guy that we're trying to, like, show Christ to. And we've got other Christians doing him a complete disservice. And James says, good for you. You believe all the right things. You got it in the right categories. But even the demons believe this. And they tremble and shudder at the name of Jesus, but they don't submit to him. And so let me ask you, do you submit your life to him? Where is your pistis? And he goes on. And he says, faith is not shown in what you say, what you you believe, but faith is shown in what you do. And this is why I think James bolsters all of this with the story of Abraham. I actually love that I'm sitting here today because we get to do a little bit of story time. And we're gonna dive into the story of Abraham and Isaac because this is where James lands the plane. And it is absolutely the most stunning picture of faith that the Bible just holds up and says I want you to look at this and it says in James 20, or chapter, or verse 23 here he interprets the story and I want to tell you the conclusion before we read the story it says Abraham believed God and it counted to him as righteousness because of his faith he was even called a friend of God so you see you are not shown to be right with God by what you do not by faith alone And I need you to get in the story here. So Abraham and God have one of the most talked about relationships in all of the Bible. And this all begins way back in the 15th chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham believes God. This is the first instance that we get the word belief. He puts his faith. He puts his pistis. He puts his trust in God. And Abraham is exhausted from this military battle where he has just rescued his nephew Lot. And Abraham is old. He's getting really old. And years have passed since God has promised Abraham that he will have offspring. Abraham is about 100 years old. Sarah, his wife, is 90 years old, and he does what anybody in that state would do. And he goes to God and he complains to God and he goes, God, you told me, Daddy, you promised me a son. Where is my son? Because I am concerned that my estate, my legacy will end up in the hands of somebody that is not my son, and you promised me a son. Where is my son? And the first question that we need to ask is, like, do we act like that to God? Do we come to Him with that level of urgency? Do we have that level of a relationship with Him? Do we bring our fears to Him? Do we bring our doubts to Him? Do we go, Daddy, you promised. And Abraham does this. And God's response is, he goes, Abraham... I'm going to take you by your hand, get out of your house, let's go out into the outdoors, and I want you to look up at the stars. He says, look up at the stars, Abraham, those will be like your descendants. You won't even be able to count how many descendants you have. And we don't know if Abraham said it in this moment, or he thought it, but it was in his heart for all of, his, all of eternity, and it says that Abraham believed God in that moment, even though he was 100 years old and his wife was 90 years old, and it was counted to him as right standing with God. And so God goes on in the end of chapter 15, and he makes this covenant, this promise with Abraham, and Abraham's faith in the meantime is far from perfect over the next 30 years. Abraham doesn't trust God fully. In fact, he takes matters into his own hands, and he impregnates his servant Hagar because he loses faith for a moment in God. And he says, I'm going to take matters into my hands, and Ishmael is born. And Ishmael is not blessed, like who will come next, which is Isaac. But eventually, God breaks down Abraham, and his faith grows, and his faith grows, and his faith grows, and God remains faithful, even when Abraham is faithless, and God provides Abraham with a son. Isaac is born. And could you just imagine, as a parent, going like, God, you did it. I can't believe you did it. You gave me a son. You said you would give me a son, and you gave me a son, God. You did it, and his faith grew, and his faith grew, and his faith grew, and over the next 30 years, he walked with God, and he began becoming a friend of God, and then we have Genesis chapter 22, and this is 30 years after Abraham believed the Lord, and that faith was credited to him is righteousness, and God is going to ask him to do almost the unthinkable. Just read this with me. It'll be on the screen behind me. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Do you know that God tests your faith? He does. He tests it. He might be testing it right now. I don't know what you're going through, but he could be testing it. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. And as a parent, you just go, what, God? You're against the pagan religions who do this. What are you talking about? It just makes me sick to my stomach. But then what happens next is all the more stunning because look at Abraham's obedience. In verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up. He loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants, and he got his son Isaac. And when he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham looked up, and he saw the place in the distance. He gets his son. He grabs the wood and he starts trekking. And then off in the distance as they're coming on the donkey, he sees Mount Moriah and he thinks about what he is about to be called to do. And surprisingly, look what happens next. In verse 5, it said this, He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go up the mountain. We will worship God and then we will be right back. We will come back to you. Abraham so trusts God that he knows something is up. God couldn't possibly contradict himself, and so I'm going to trust him. I'm going to believe him, even if it costs me my son. We will worship, and then both of us will come back. And the writer of Hebrews takes this, and this is where his faith is incredible, because Abraham believes in a resurrection before anybody else, because Hebrews takes this, and he says, Abraham believed that God would resurrect Isaac from the dead. That even if Abraham killed Isaac, that God would resurrect him from the dead. And he's so confident in this that he tells his servants, we're going to go worship and then we'll be back. And so then in verse 6, Abraham takes the wood for the burnt offering. He places it on his son Isaac. Isaac is carrying the wood, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up, and he said to his father Abraham, Yes, my son, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb, daddy? Where is the lamb? Could you imagine Abraham looking his son in the eyes, God has asked me to sacrifice you, and I bet you Isaac knew it in that moment, and Isaac stayed because Isaac trusted God because his daddy did. And so then they went. And Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there. He arranged the wood on it. He bound his son. He laid him on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand to murder his son. And God says, stop. Here I am, Abraham says. Do not lay a hand on that boy. Do not do anything to him, because now I know that you fear me, because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And as I read this this week, I go, what am I withholding from God? Would I give my son? And Abraham looked up, and in a thicket he saw a ram. Caught by its horns, he went over there. He took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. And to this day, he said, On that mountain, the Lord, it will be provided. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time, and he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of cities, of their enemies, and through their offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me we made it through. And James takes this event and he interprets it, he explains it in verse 22 and he says you see his faith and his actions work together his faith made his actions or his actions made his faith complete. And you go, well, how does this happen? Well, Abraham, through 30 years, walked with God daily. He went through the ups and downs with God daily. He learned to trust him. He learned to love him so that when the ultimate test came, Abraham's faith was mature. And we are told that he was shown to be right with God, not by what he just believed, but by what he did. And at this point... If you know the rest of the New Testament, you think like the obvious question, is James teaching something other than all of the other teachers in the New Testament? And the answer is no. Paul knows this. John knows this. Jesus even knows this. John tells us and we can know that we are gods if we obey his commandments. Paul says, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? Of course not. And even Jesus himself says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The branches that abide in me will bear much fruit. Faith and action always go together. If God gave you your greatest desire like Abraham got in his son Isaac, would you give it back to him? And how did he do this? You might have missed it because it's a little detail, but the text tells us that Abraham was even called a friend of God. Think about this. That decision wasn't divine child abuse, let alone the fact that God didn't end up requiring the son. This was not rooted in coercion from God. This was rooted in friendship. Abraham had walked with God through enough life that his faith had turned into full blown friendship with God, and he trusted God. And ultimately, this is the difference between a dead faith and a living faith because faith is friendship with God. And in a lot of ways, this is the crux of faith because think about what friendship is like. Think about your house or apartment. We all have friends that we let into the front room, and we have friends that we would let see our bedroom. We got friends that if they come over we feel like we gotta call Stanley Steamer over to clean our whole house and we got friends that if they saw it like a mess we wouldn't even care because of that intimacy. We got friends that we'd barely let through our backyard and we got friends that have refrigerator privileges. I got friends that I wish I walked into my house and saw them in my refrigerator eating my food. And God had gotten refrigerator privileges in the life of Abraham. He so trusted God that he trusted him enough to believe that there was purpose behind him even sacrificing his own son. And what do we withhold in our lives? Because we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't have deep friendship with God. But until God has refrigerator privileges in your life, until you've let him into every nook and cranny of your life, he is not as good of a friend as Scripture wants him to be. Because real faith grows when God takes occupancy of more and more of your life, because just as you grow your friendships, as you let your friends into every nook and cranny of your life, you grow your relationship with God as you say, nothing is off limits for you, Lord. And as a result, we have living faith Because real friendship is real faith. Because real friends, you trust with your life. You trust with your wife or your husband. You trust with your children. You trust with your finances. You would trust your real friends with those things. And this is saying, Abraham had so over the years given God more of his life that he became a friend of God. And as a pastor, I go, you know what? This is all clicking this week because I've witnessed some people over the last few years abandon their faith in God behind the veil of modern conveniences, behind the veil of American youth sports at times, behind the veil of Sunday morning being a box to check or just a show to come and attend, behind the veil Of modern sexuality norms, and not just the ones you think I'm thinking of, but both hetero and homo. And we just go, see a God. But you know what I've realized? When people say see a God, it's not because they didn't go to seminary, it's not because they didn't know the right things, it's because they don't really trust God, because they never had a real friendship with God. So when God required something of their life that was difficult, they walked away because they said, I can't believe that, I don't trust that. But it ain't because they're a bad person. It's because they don't have friendship with God. They don't know God. They don't trust God. But if we trust God, if we know God, if we know that He wants to be our friend, then even when He requires hard things of our life, we say yes. In fact, Jesus even says this in John chapter 15. He says this, When you obey my commandments... You remain in my love, just as I obey the Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things, so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Do you see what Jesus is saying? It's one thing for you to say that you're friends with the president. It's another thing for the president to say you are his or her friend. And it's one thing for you to say that you are God's friend, but it's another thing for God to say that you are his. And Jesus says, I have chosen you to be my disciples, to be my friends Jesus walks with his friends for three years, his disciples, and he says, go and make disciples. Don't go and make converts. Go and make disciples. Go and make friends of God. And see, that is why the story of Abraham is so moving to me because it just points us forward to Jesus because think about the story. Isaac carries the wood for the sacrifice up to Mount Moriah. Jesus carries the wooden cross to Calvary. Both Isaac and Jesus except the call to be sacrificed, and they were bound. And Isaac was spared because God provided the sacrifice. And you know who the ultimate sacrifice was? It was Jesus. Because Abraham believed that God would even raise Isaac from the dead only because Jesus was raised from the dead. And God said to Abraham, now I know that you love me. Because you did not withhold your son, your only son, from me. So that we could look at Jesus and look at our Heavenly Father and go, God, now I know just how much you love me. Because you didn't withhold your son, your only son, from me. Because Isaac wasn't killed. But Jesus was for you and for me. And God the Father did not spare his son, his only son, whom he loved, by the way, so that you and I would know just how much we are loved by God. And that's why Jesus says, this is true love, that you lay down your life for your friends. Do you lay down your life for Jesus because he did for you? And that's why James says, faith without works is dead Because if you came into this room and you had a friend walk up to you and they said, I need clothing and I need food and you just said, I'm going to pray for you. Do you know how pathetic that would be? We should pray. And if we look at God and he says, I want you to do this and we go, sweet God, and then we walk into the street. It reveals our faithlessness. But if we have works, if we live it out, it shows our faith. But never forget that you will never outdo God in sacrifice in this relationship. We all come home sometimes in our marriages. You're married and we feel like we're outdoing our spouse. It's generally not me. My wife is definitely outdoing me in sacrifice. But we all feel that sometimes. You will never feel that with God. He will always outdo you in sacrifice. Why? Because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we know that God has joy when we have joy. He weeps when we weep. He feels pain when we feel pain. He feels happiness when he sees his children experience joy. That's how good of a friend God is. How good is your friendship with God? Are you a friend of God? Do you know God like a friend? Have you spoken to him lately? Has he spoken to you in his word? What do you need to do to grow in your friendship with God? Because faith is friendship, and friendship is revealed in action. And our action will always be a reaction to the action of God in your life. He said, I love you this much, I didn't spare my son, my only son, whom I love for you. And that is why God lifts up Abraham. Because when we have faith in God, we look like Jesus, and we look like God. And in that moment, Abraham looked like God. Let's go look like God because we are friends with God. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace and your mercy uh, that we don't have to live up to this perfectly because you lived up to it perfectly for us. You were our friend before us. You chose us. We didn't choose you first, you chose us first and then we respond. God you are such a good friend to us. You love us so much that you reveal yourself to us, that you become vulnerable for, for us. I even think about our houses, Lord, when we don't want to let people in, it's because it's a vulnerable thing. We don't want them to see the mess of our lives, but you let us see you clearly for who you are, and there was no mess. You were spotless. But you came vulnerable for us. You became vulnerable for us, and Lord, maybe that's the first step this morning, that we just confess, like, maybe we haven't been walking with you like a friend. Maybe we haven't been a good friend to you, Lord, and we need to become vulnerable to you, show some honesty with you so that we can grow in our friendship with you, Lord. If that is our first step, I pray that we do that. But for those that do not know you, Lord, I pray that they would see that when they step into that relationship with you, that they are stepping into a friendship, that yes, it is a lordship, but it is It is not even first. It's just all things, Lord. (laughs) It's a friendship. It's a lordship. It's companionship. It's discipleship. And, Lord, we're just so grateful that we get to worship a God that calls us into that. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to grow in you, that our friendship like Abraham would grow in you, and that our goal would not be perfection, but would be an ongoing growth as we see ongoing growth even in our earthly relationships. Thank you for your word. Continue to speak to us as we worship this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast.